Okay, Chantel, my beautiful friend I made last year. This Cape Breton lady always brings me such cheer. I'm really excited about having her speak. I love and adore her more and more every week. We'll grow old together and stay off the hashish and beer. Uh, Chantel, take as long as you want. Say whatever you want. It is a pleasure knowing you, having your phone number and chatting with you. I love you to bits. And we all stay on mute, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Um, hi, my name is Chantel, and I'm an alcoholic addict. Um, oh, I'm feeling a little nervous. It's been a while since I've shared on, on the meeting. Um, all right. <clears throat> So, um, well, I grew up in, in traditional AA, and I found secular AA, um, well, I've been coming um, regularly uh, since, uh, well, it's been a, a little over a year now, and, uh, and I've really found my tribe here, you know, um, and um, I just saw his outhouse one word on the chat threw me off there for a sec. It <laughs> doesn't take much to throw me off. Um, anyway, we're, we're, you know, I, I, I was told we talked a little bit about what it was like, what happened and, and what it's like now. So um, I'm originally from Northern Ontario and um, you know, I mean, I, 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 had a relatively normal-ish childhood. Um, you know, my parents split when I was nine and I had my, you know, my, my sorrows and my joys and all that good stuff. Um, you know, my mom certainly has some, um, well, my mom's a narcissist. <laughs> get it out there and uh uh so i i've i i know i've picked up some maladaptive ways of of managing life as a result of some of that but i think some of that is just i don't know and i guess that's part of it now it, it doesn't matter so much to me anymore the why why am i an addict why do i re re react this way to that substance to that whatever it it is what it is, and so how do I manage that today? That's that's more important to me. Um, see, I skipped over all the what happened, and I'm right into the what it's like now. Okay, I'll go back to what happened, to what it was like. Um, I first got into to the drugs and alcohol when I was 13, um, and it was it was fucking amazing. I loved it you know, and, and um, I hung out with, with uh, people who used and drank. And, um, you know, I was good in school. So I was able to get away with it. And, and it didn't affect my school too much. Uh, my relationships, like with my mother were, was horrible. Like we used to fight. I feel bad for my poor sister, because uh, like my dad was gone at this point and I we would fight like cats and dogs like yelling at each other every day I, I don't know how she managed through all that but she did and um 
and I couldn't wait to get to get out of there to leave home, you know. And um, when I was 16, I went to to live with my dad. I had tried to to live with him before, but uh, actually, it was the summer I started using, and he caught me skipping school, and and I got a good beating that time. So I ended up back at my mom's. And um, anyway, so when I was 16, I moved back in with him again. And uh, um, he was a little sheepish about that last beating. So he was behaving himself a little bit more. But I was, you know, when they talk about, you know, how self-centered we are, I was very, very, it was all about me, you know. And um, anyway, I, I met this guy and... Uh, um, you know, it was, um, he, he's a, an indigenous, indigenous man. And, and uh, uh, we used to party all the time with all the buddies, you know, we'd go out on the river and, you know, make fires and, and catch fish and have fish fries. And, and like, it was the big party, you know, and a lot of crazy stuff happened in those parties, you know, and, and when I look back now, it's, this is not normal shit. Like you don't go out in the middle of nowhere and get wasted. And like, I remember this one guy, he fell and, and he broke his leg and we had to, you know, bring him by boat to land. And then from there, it was like a 45 minute drive into the nearest hospital, just crazy stuff. And anyway, uh, we got married when I was 19 <laughs> and, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what love was. I just, I don't know. I mean, anyway, I did. I, I got married and um, I mean, that marriage didn't even last a year. You know, I was unfaithful and, and it was part of all those big parties. You know, I was, I was, um, well I should I, I have to take responsibility for that I mean it's not because I was I was stoned or drunk out of my mind I, I still I made those choices and um, anyway we split and, uh, and then I went to college and and then it was the the big party in college um, and then I I met this other guy um, and uh, a few months after we started going out, I got pregnant. And uh, so we, we got together and that lasted about a year. Um, we split up. So I ended up raising that, that boy by myself. Um, he's 35 year old man today. And, um, you know, I mean, I, like I, even when I was drinking and, and using, I still uh, managed to do, like, my life wasn't a total washout, you know, I still went to school, um, I still had jobs, I'd call in sick, or I'd, you know, when I think about it, too, I think, I think back, and I think, wow, you know, the marks I could have gotten in school, <laughs> if I had been clean and sober, would have been amazing. But, you know, I got by okay, and I managed okay. And, um, and I think, I think what happened with all that stuff is, is that, you know, when we talk about in the first step about being powerless and our lives are, are unmanageable, um, because I was, I was good at, at 
juggling all this stuff. It, on the outside, it, it didn't look too bad, you know. Uh, by the time I got to program, I had, an, I had a nice apartment, I had a car, I had a job, and I was still raising my son. You know, he was still with me. And, um, you know, I mean, I learned some, like, there was stuff that, you know, I, I, I made sure didn't happen around my son that I had grown up with that I didn't like. Like, my mom was quite promiscuous, and she was really open with us. You know, it was like the, the 70s, and, and she thought that that was cool. And I thought it was absolutely disgusting. And um, so I was a lot more conservative around that stuff. Although I was also rather promiscuous, not rather, I was promiscuous when I was um, a drinking. And, and also in my early years in recovery, I still was. And it's that, you know, that stupid song, you know, or whatever, looking for love in all the wrong places. I mean, I just... I, I was very, very lonely and I wanted somebody in my life and I didn't know how to get that. And, um, so, you know, I'd end up sleeping with this one or that one. It was like, and even relationships I would get into, it was like, um, oh, you like me? Well, then I must be in love with you, you know? which is, is crazy. I look back on that stuff now, but that took me a long time in recovery and a lot of counseling, a lot of step work um, to finally get to a point where um, just because you pay attention to me or you say the right things, it doesn't mean that I have to engage in a relationship with you, you know? So that's taken a, a, quite a while for me to, to, to to um, internalize that kind of stuff. Anyway, what what happened? What, how I got into program? Um, well, I finished school. Uh, I, like I'd gone, I, I was in college. I did a, a two year um, program in pottery, which is my first love in life. And, uh, and actually, it's kind of interesting when I look back on that, because when I would go into the studio <clears throat> at school and um, whenever I would be having a bad day or feeling really lousy, I could go in and, and I'd, I'd work in clay and I'd throw some pots and not throw on the wall, but that's what you call like working on the wheel. <laughs> Mind you, there were days I probably could have thrown a pot, but um, I would come out of there and just feeling well, feeling that serenity that we talk about in program, uh, I would experience moments of that when I was still out practicing. That was the only time. And that, and like, you know, when in program later on, when I start hearing about spiritual spirituality or spiritual moments or whatever, I thought I had some of that when I was doing that. And um, so anyway, I, I didn't want to be a starving artist. So I went back to school and I got, uh, I did my, I got a university degree in psychology. And um, so when I finished university, my son would have been uh, four or five, five, I guess. He was just starting uh, school like full time. So it all kind of worked out good. And um, I got a job, uh, I got a job as a probation officer. And um, and it's, it's funny how schooling doesn't prepare you for some of this stuff, 
because I was dealing with people's stories that were just horrendous. And I remember, well, I didn't know how to, how to take care of myself around that stuff. I would just take all, on all this stuff, all this pain and suffering and bring it home with me. I had no tools. I didn't know how to do this except to use and drink. And, um, and, and it, it kind of scares me a little bit too that, uh, you know, here I was trying to help people and I was a complete mess myself. But that first year that I worked would have been my last year of, of using and drinking. And um, I I was, I'd gotten involved with this guy who had been in AA and, but he wasn't going anymore. And, and I started hearing more and more about AA because of the work I was doing. And um, anyway, he started drinking again and, and, uh, um, so that, that broke off. And I remember asking him once, like, are you an alcoholic or not? Like, what's the deal here? And he says, Oh, just go to an A meeting and leave me alone. So at this point it was around the point where the wheels were rolling off for me. And for me, it was, it wasn't so much an outwardly thing. It was a, an inwardly thing. I was, I was suicidal at this point. I used to drive a half hour to work and uh, like on the, on the highway. And I'd be like looking at these transport trucks and thinking, do I pull out in front of this one? You know? And, and I think the only thing that held me together was the fact that I had, I had a seven-year-old son at home that I, well, he didn't have any contact with his dad, and I certainly didn't want him going to his dad's family. That kept me from, from taking my own life at that point, because I was done. I was just so done. And um, anyway, I ended up going to this open AA meeting, and it was partly curiosity for work and partly because of what he said. Not because I was an alcoholic or thought I didn't even think I had a problem with drinking and drugging. I thought I had, I had emotional issues and psychological issues, but I certainly didn't think I had a substance abuse issue. And so I went to this meeting. It was an open speaker meeting. Some guy talked and I don't remember a word he said. All I know is that uh, after I left and I drove home, I cried all the way home. It was like this you know, somebody turned on the tap and it was like, whoa, where did that come from? And, it, and then that's how powerful the denial was for me. Like, I, I just, it just didn't register that I had this problem. It was just so weird. And while I was at the meeting, the woman that sat next to me, she, um, she gave me her number and she said, like, give me a call tomorrow, you know? And I thought, oh, okay, you're friendly, you know, I'll give you a call tomorrow. <laughs> so anyway, next day I called her and, um, and I'm telling her about, of, I guess she just started asking me questions. I'm telling her about how I'm drinking and using. And she says, well, I'm going to another meeting tonight. Why don't you come? So I thought, okay, I'll go. But this time it wasn't an AA meeting. It was an NA meeting. And it was closed. It was a closed discussion meeting. And I sat across the table from this older guy. He had a big beard. He was a, he was a biker. Um, and... Uh, his piercing blue eyes. And I realized that this wasn't a speaker meeting. People were going around the room and they were sharing. And I was just terrified. I thought, I can't, I can't say anything here. Like what the hell am I doing here? You know? And, and even in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh man, 
I wish I was like them. I wish I could be part of this. Like this is like I look back now and I have to laugh because the the freaking denial was so powerful. Anyway, I went to some meetings and I kind of off and on over the the next four months and and I started to realize that I couldn't put I couldn't put it down. You know, I try um you know, I'd try three, four days and, and I'd be out of my mind. I'd have to, to drink something. And and I hid all this stuff from my son too. I, I'd be in the kitchen doing knives while I'm cooking supper kind of thing. And he's in the living room watching TV, you know. And um, so uh, anyway, eventually I, I finally acknowledged that, yeah, okay, I need to, I need to put this down. And, and so I started, uh, uh, going to meetings regularly and I got a sponsor. Um, and so my 93, I was 30, I just turned 30. And, um, and over the next few months, um, you know, it was good. I hung out with, with people in program, um, a lot. Again, because I was really lonely and I didn't know what else to do with myself. And then by the fall, um, I felt like I was stuck. I wasn't going anywhere. And uh, we had um, uh, a treatment center in North Bay. Um, it was a 28-day program. So I, I went, I thought, well, I'm going to go and talk to a counselor there just to get some information while I walked out of there with a treatment date. <laughs> and, um, and it worked out really well because it was a day program. Um, because I was a single mom, I didn't have family around to, to take care of my son. I could go to treatment Monday to Friday, eight to four, which was like my work schedule. And, uh, and at that time, it, it, was, uh, it was run by um, mostly people uh, in program. They were mostly recovering AA people. And we worked the first five steps in program. And I'm really grateful for that treatment. Because at the time, um, my sponsor was like my friend. You know, she didn't really talk about steps or any of that stuff. And and some people manage okay with go, just going to meetings, but not me. My thinking was just so. I'm not even sure how to how to describe it. It was it was nonstop for one thing. I used to think I wish I could just take my head off and like put it on the shelf for a while because I was always, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking. That's really slowed down a lot, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but also, my thinking was really off. You know, I, I just I I didn't know how to respond um, to situations in in a mature, responsible way, you know, and I've heard it said too, that when we come into program where we have the emotional maturity that we had when we first picked up, and I'm telling you, I did, I felt like a 13, 14 year old in this 30 year old's body, you know, half the time, I was still reacting like that, in a lot of situations. Um, so anyway, I went pro to, to this treatment center, I came out and I remember a friend of mine I was working with, she said to me that the boss at the time said, I don't know where she went for that month, but uh, like she's, she's a totally different person, really did her a lot of good, <laughs> like good. <laughs> and um, 
But then by January, I was bored out of my mind. And I thought, if this is recovery, I don't know if I can do this, you know, because I want to have fun, fun. So I used to go out to the bars and, and uh, you know, I partied and all that stuff, you know, dancing and sleep, sleeping around and all that stuff. And now it's like, I don't know what to do with myself, you know. And um, but anyway, I hung in there. And um, but like I said, over the years, I did a lot of really stupid things in recovery. But nobody ever told me you can't come back. You know, I'll, I was always welcomed in the meetings, no matter what I did or what I said. And um, but, I, you know, and, and, and even though I it's funny because I think I wish somebody would have told me this back then, but I don't think it would have made any difference. This one sponsor at one point who said to me when she got together with her husband, he said to her, don't listen to what I say. Watch what I do. And I thought and I remember thinking, oh, I wish somebody would have said that to me. And I probably wouldn't listen because I used to listen would say in meetings. And you know what? You guys can sound really good in a meeting. I can sound really good in a meeting. But watch how I live my life outside the meeting. That's what's that's where the rubber hits the road. To me, like meetings are like the classroom. That's where I learn. I learn from you guys. You, you know, you, you show me these different skills and 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 I and I can then take those and when I'm out in the real world, I can try them on and see if it works, you know. And most of the time it does. Um, but but that's the thing, you know, like even though I may talk a good talk in the meeting talk to the people I live with. They're the ones that are going to tell you what kind of recovery I, I truly have. And, um, but anyway, so um, yeah, fell on my face a lot. <laughs> and um, anyway, through time, you know, the, the, the relationship stuff started to get better. And uh, um, I did, uh, um, I got married for the second time in recovery with someone I had met in program. And, uh, but I mean, he wasn't a newbie, you know, he had some time in and, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know, I mean, he's, he's a good guy, but, and what was funny is that all the guys that I had dated up until I met him were like my dad, you know, they were usually pretty strong, uh, emotionally distant, um, but, you know, physically strong and that kind of stuff. Whereas this second husband of mine was like my mother, who was a narcissist. And uh, I didn't really know that at the beginning, but uh, I figured that out eventually. But anyway, I learned a lot being with him. And, uh, and I remember um, one of the things that was interesting when we were together is that he used to talk a lot, he used to talk a lot, period. But he, he introduced me to, to um, authors like Joseph Campbell. And, um, and I think this guy's really amazing, but when you're trying to hang on to some, like a, like a, a really thin thread of some sort of semblance of some kind of a belief in some higher power, because I thought I needed that because I kept being told I needed that in order to stay in recovery. People like Joseph Campbell will make that crumble in a heartbeat. And I used to get angry because I didn't want to hear it, you know? Um, but anyway, I've since gotten over that and, and, um, 
but I guess that that's the part where I kept trying, you know, that acting as if and um, and and I don't want to I don't want to poo poo the all of that because I'll tell you that whole process that I went through was actually really good for me too because it forced me to open my mind and um, yeah and I needed that I really needed to hear that kind of stuff. I don't know if I, anyway, you know, I know some people that start in secular and are still in secular and I'm really glad in secular AA. And I don't know what it would have been like if I had gone that route from the beginning. I have no idea, but I know that the route I did take brought me to where I am now and I'm really content with that. So, you know, I guess it's all good in the end. Um, Anyway, that, that marriage didn't last. Uh, we were together for seven years, I guess. And uh, in that time, I, I went back to school. I got my teaching degree and, uh, uh, and I taught, you know, I, I taught locally in North Bay and then we went uh, to South Korea and I taught there for a while. And then we taught territories and lived in a, a small flying community of 90 people. and. That was quite interesting. Um, and uh, through all that stuff, um, you know, I discovered that that my disease manifested itself in other ways. I have food addiction issues too. And so I, I explored other programs to help me with that. And that, and, and again, like for me, it's not about, um, like I hear how some people, like how their, their alcoholism or whatever, it, it affected their, their health and, and, you know, where they were on the brink of dying and all that kind of stuff. For me, it's more about how, how it affected me emotionally and psychologically to the point where I wanted to die, where I hated myself so much. I despised myself. I couldn't stand myself. And so it was the same thing with the food addiction for me. So anyway, that's, that's all, that's uh, being managed as well by a 12-step program today. So I'm really grateful for that too. So anyway, I, I, um, I split up from, from this guy and um, I thought I, I love teaching, but um, at this point I would have been in my forties and teaching is, a, is a, especially with kids, it's a vocation. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy and I just didn't have it. You know, and I didn't want to deal with the parents and the bullshit. I just didn't want to. Anyway, so I went back to corrections, but at the federal level, and I worked as a parole officer. And that's when I moved here to, to Nova Scotia. I've been here 11 years now. And, um, and you know, I moved here, and I didn't know a soul. I just came to Cape Breton Island because I knew it was a beautiful place. And, um, and I, I knew I wanted to retire by the ocean. And so I... I got an opportunity to work here. So I moved here. And, and again, thank goodness for program because I, I'd go to meetings and I met a whole bunch of people in recovery here and, and, uh, um, and actually met my current partner who's 30 some years sober now. And we've been together 10 years, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, we're, he's a, he's a, he's a really good guy. He's not nothing like my parents. <laughs> um, I think I finally, I finally got this one right. But, um, but you know, life keeps happening. And, uh, 
that's the thing I've realized, like, there were times in my recovery where I would kind of step back from program, I would be kind of around program. And um, I didn't, I wouldn't do so well, I I'd get I'd get a there would be a lot of anger that would come up in me and, and irritability and impatience and intolerance. And I've always done better staying in program. And, and for me, like an average of about um, three meetings a week has always been kind of my sweet spot, you know? Um, and uh, anyway, so, so after moving here, got together with my partner and um, I thought, yeah, this is it, you know, like life is good. And uh, he took me to Florida a few times. Well, he didn't take me. We went to Florida because we're partners, you know. <laughs> and um, I'd never been, and and it was fun, you know. And then uh, then I got sick. I got uh, diagnosed with breast cancer seven years ago, and I had no idea. But breast cancer is just not breast cancer. There are so many different types and all this stuff. I, I educated myself very well, and it was a very aggressive one. And um, so I had surgery and then I had chemo and radiation. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And it was scary because I was 50 years old and I was facing my own mortality, you know. Um, and, uh, I think it was two weeks after my surgery. Um, the, my uh, my partner's son, who was 31 at the time, took his own life. So it was a really, really tough time for us. You know, it was. Um, that's when those those slogans and program uh, really come in handy, like just for today. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I use that, you know, just just. What you know? What's the next thing that we've got to do? What's the next right thing to do? And that's it. Just stay in that. Like I couldn't even think about what it would be like after I'd be done treatments. Like I just I couldn't even go there. And you know I lost the hair and all that stuff. And it, it was it was really traumatic. The whole thing. And uh, one of the things I did for myself though, and this is as a result of my recovery is that see over time i've learned to to like myself to to take myself take self care seriously and um when i got sick i had this um critical illness insurance that i'd gotten when i had left working for the government when i was teaching anyway i had this i was able to make a claim and i had this chunk of money that i could pay off bills or whatever you know buy a car, which I had a car, but you know, whatever. And I thought, no, I have always wanted to have my own studio. I've always wanted to have a separate building apart from the house where I can go and play and create. And that's what I did. We got this garage package. I have a 20 by 24 building in my backyard. It's fully insulated. It's heated. It has air conditioning. It has hot and cold running water. I have two pottery wheels, a kiln. I have got this wicked sewing machine I quilt out there actually I've been making shelves and whatever whatever I'm, I'm a maker I just love to make things and I'm so grateful I did that for myself because after all my treatments I tried to go back to work and um, 
I wasn't able to. That's a long story. But anyway, I ended up with some really serious long-term effects as a result of all those treatments. And so my life has really changed. There are a lot of things I can't do today. I used to weight train, I ran, and that was a lot of mental health stuff for me too. I needed to do those things to feel good, but I couldn't do those things anymore. Now I do gentle yoga when I can manage it. I go for really tiny walks when I can manage it. And um, I sit in my bed here <laughs> most afternoons and I do a lot of embroidery and and I stitch and, and I do a lot of that stuff. But in the mornings, I'm usually in the studio doing more physical things. And what's interesting is that my life is not at all what I had anticipated it to be at this stage in the game. I'm going to be 58 this month, actually. And I never would have thought that I wouldn't be working right now, that I would be creating like I'm creating that I would be in a loving, kind relationship with a man in this beautiful little home with gardens outside. Um, and my life is really simple. Like there's not a whole, I, when, I, when I was uh, going through all these long-term side effects, I, I, I kept saying my life has gotten so much smaller, but that's not true. I, I heard this guy uh, at a, a retreat once and he talked about every year what he does is he takes a look at where does all his energy go? Like what, what does he spend his energy on in, in a day, in a week, in a month? And every year he'll drop something so that he can, he can focus his energy and his time on what's truly important to him. And that's what's happened to me. I've had to do this. This this has forced me to look at what's truly important to me. Well, what's truly important to me is to be of service to people. So I do have a couple of sponsees, not a whole shitload, but I do have some. I show up at meetings when I can manage to. I I'm creative. I create and expectation around it. It's just because I love to do it. And sometimes I sell it, sometimes I get away, give it away, sometimes I keep it. Um, and, and I try to treat myself and those around me with, with gentleness and compassion. My mantra today is gentle, just to be gentle with myself and to be gentle with those around me. And I think that because I keep reminding myself to be gentle and especially with this condition I have I have to be really gentle with myself and if I get up and I'm feeling really shitty that day it's like okay what can I do to be gentle with myself today what's happened as a result is I'm a hell of a lot more gentle with my partner and that to me that's the probably the biggest gift in recovery well with my son too of course you yeah, know that's a whole other story but anyway I went on a long time and I didn't expect to talk that long, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm gonna stop, but I, I wanna thank you all for being here and for the amazing life that I, I, I get to have today because of people like you who keep showing up week after week. Thanks.